0: Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. I'm Laura Rame, Chief U.S. Economist, and in today's episode, we are talking commercial real estate. We have a new publication out, The Anatomy of a CRE Correction. It's actually a take two, it's a sequel. And for anyone who wants to dig into this topic, please find this on our website because I am joined by the author, my partner in research, Andrew Kors, an executive director on our team. Andrew, welcome.
1: Thanks, Laura. I'm excited to uh, talk real estate. Absolutely. I have
0: a selfish reason for doing this podcast, or perhaps maybe it's more like a public service, <laughs> because <laughs> I am often in advisors' offices. It's one of my favorite things to do, to talk to advisors, talk to their investors. And I wanted to call today's podcast CRE Mythbusting Edition. And Andrew kind of rolled his eyes at me and this is really important because Andrew is an expert in this subject. He has written this piece which as I said is a sequel. The original was one of our most successful, most widely circulated and most widely sent pieces that we've like ever done in research. So when he redid it, it's important to recognize. And I told him this, like he's in the weeds on this. And I am like out there talking to investors who still have a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. We know there's a correction in progress. And I understand that. And I come home or back to home. We're in the office, but it feels like home, right? <laughs> come come back to Philadelphia, our Philadelphia headquarters and I say this to Andrew and he takes me through the nitty gritty of this sector and why it's so different, why it's changed, why this time is different, why this isn't a repeat of the 2009 crisis. So I wanted to bring all of this together today. The big questions I get asked and and your expertise and hopefully dispel some of these big concerns, and then we can kind of get into the nitty-gritty.
1: That sounds great, Lauren. Just to be clear, I must have had something caught in my eye. I would never (laughs) roll my eyes at you. He rolls his eyes at me all the time. (laughs) But,
0: all right. (laughs) All right. Today, February 2nd, 2024. Let us just quickly set the stage, right? How is the CRE market doing today? Like, I want to set the stage before I hit you with my, like, big... Scary questions.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about just the lay of the land as we speak today. First of all, activity, acquisition, sales activity, whatever you want to call it, is still really challenged, right? 2023 was our lowest full-year activity since 2012. I think people keep waiting for some savior in the form of much lower interest rates, and it just has not come, and we don't think it's going to come. Right.
0: This week, the Fed pretty much took a March rate cut off the table Markets expect five rate cuts now, but we also today just got this very strong jobs number. Yep. And you and I, maybe me, have a I have a stronger feeling that we're probably going to get surgical rate cuts yep. later in the
1: year. Yeah. And that's core so. to our view because absent some miraculous decline in rates, this sort of correction is going to sort of extend for as long as our, our forecast period is. Yeah. Secondly, if you look at property prices, they're still under pressure. They've come down about 13% on a national basis from uh, the peak in middle of 2022. Lots of dispersion in there. Declines have moderated the past couple quarters as rates have kind of stabilized, come down a bit uh, over Q4 of 2023, except in the office sector. That's sort of in its own private Idaho, if you will. Sure. Um, but everything else, price declines have... There's still pressure there, but they've kind of moderated. Distress has risen somewhat. But again, you might be noticing a trend here more than 90% of the new distress in all of commercial real estate since the middle of 2021 is in the office sector. Okay,
0: I know we're going to dig into office later.
1: We'll dig into that. On the fundamental side, if we consider office as like maybe 15% of the market, the other 85%, whether we're talking about industrial, multifamily, retail, hotel, things like data centers, self-storage, all of these, it's it's such a massive sector with so many different economic drivers. Mm -hmm. Much of the rest of the market Fundamentals, just like the economy, are just are really strong right now. So that continues to be the biggest support for the market. And to kind of wrap that all up of where we are today, we're just in a market that's kind of suspended in midair between a tail a big tailwind fundamentals and a big headwind interest rates. And I think that's going to kind of set the stage for the rest of our conversation. Okay. All
0: right. So another advertisement for this piece because when you did the first one in April of 2023 and the uptake from all of our investors, was so strong. You said three things would happen and you were right. You said, number one, we wouldn't see a repeat of the CRE meltdown that happened. I guess I said 2009, but you mentioned 2012. was a multi-year crisis, crisis, crisis. So number one, you said that wouldn't be repeated. Number two, you also said fundamentals would stay strong, particularly in multifamily, industrial, you threw in retail, that's also happened. Number three, back in April of last year, you said it would be a slog that this correction would take time to to occur and that activity would be weak as investors have to recalibrate in this new interest rate regime. I think that slog is still where we are. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't expect turn of the year to, to, to create some massive uptick yeah. in activity. It's going to take time. I, I think that's still where we are.
0: Okay. All right. So let me ask my first sort of like question that I get regularly that that is like scaring people. Is there a wall of refinancings that is going to cause some banking system crisis level event?
1: Yeah. A wall just, that sounds so like... Like we're going to you know, crash into it. Yeah, yeah. It's not so <laughs> finite. I right. I, pr- I prefer a wave that's kind of coming okay, through. I like that and then better. It, yeah, and we can work our way through it. So I I, I do, I think this is re- a really important question. It's something we think a lot about. I, 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 I want to just give some numbers if that's okay yeah, with you. Do it. To kind of make my point. So if we look at the commercial real estate debt market, it's almost $6 trillion in the US, right? Trillion. $6 T, trillion, okay. dollars. yes. Banks own about 60% of that currently. Okay. Of that 60%, about... A little less than three quarters of it is owned by the non-largest banks, right? Regional banks, smaller community banks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we can say between 45 and 50% of commercial real estate debt is owned by these regional banks, smaller banks that I think people are concerned. Like, I don't think anybody's really concerned about. I was like, great, I'm still scared. (laughs) I think think JP Morgan is going to be okay. But I think people are worried about still the outlook for regional banks. Especially
0: regional banks, yeah.
1: So if we look at the maturity wave, not wall, we've got about... Call it $600 billion of total commercial real estate debt maturing this year.
0: Okay. So, so 10% of the 10%, total market. Exactly. 10%. Okay. 10% of all outstanding all right. CRA That's debt, give scary. or take,
1: is maturing this year. It's more than the average year, but not like crazy more than the average year going okay. back. So we think about regional banks, right? They have been large commercial real estate lenders on average, call it a quarter of their assets are commercial real estate loans, right? If it follows that roughly 10% of all commercial real estate loans are maturing and we make a pretty conservative assumption that a quarter of those loans are office loans, do the math, that's less than 1% of the average regional bank's assets that are maturing office loans. Okay. Less than 1%. All right. So like, are there going to be banks that have more office loans than that? Yeah. Are there going to be those that have fewer? Yes, so I think when we think about first of all, the big banks are 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 not in the line of fire here, right? And we know that the fifteen largest banks are like two thirds of all assets in the banking system now. So we are worried. People are worried about these smaller banks. On average, less than one percent of their assets are maturing office loans. Okay, that is very small.
0: Yeah, (laughs) no, no, and I and I think that helps. And now is a time to also bring in where the other 40% of these mm-hmm. commercial real estate loans are coming from. And to me, that is the huge difference between today yes. and 15 years ago. Uh, because back then, banks were the only game in town.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I that's- Did exact, I steal your next point? That's exactly where I wanted to go okay. next. Because I think people are worried about systemic issue of the banking system. We do not see that at all.
0: Okay, um, so I think, and I think this is the point. We cannot guarantee there won't be no. Little, I yeah. think there will be, there are, we know that there are a few problem loans out there. I'm not even going to attempt to quantify that because I don't know, nobody knows, but, you know, and we will talk about office, but outside of that, the, the real issue is a systemic concern. And that's what I hear yeah. when I hear the questions yeah. about this like deep overarching wall. And I, I think it's important to, like what I've heard is wave of a much more dispersed source of lending and that really the problem areas are much smaller and going to be sporadic one alarm fires not the systemic fire yeah alarm and i fire. think
1: look i think the concern of everybody is that there will be a vacuum of capital availability to address these this wave of maturing loans right and that's exactly the issue of the global financial crisis when people look back right There were no lenders that were willing to step in when banks stepped back when the CMBS market was closed. There were no other lenders. That is not the case today. We have another cohort of lenders who, by the way, is comprised more than 40% of the growth of CRE debt over the past five years. That's a massive amount. A couple trillion
0: dollars, right? Yeah.
1: The growth in debt. So it's, it's a little bit different. But you think about who are those lenders? They're insurance companies who mostly do fixed rate loans. It's debt funds. It's mortgage REITs who mostly do floating rate funds. So there's, there's not only a massive cohort of lenders there that are able to take up the mantle, but they're offering various different types of lending products that may appeal to different parts of the market. So look, the market outlook, the debt market specifically is completely different than it was during the GFC. And by the way, again, fundamentals are still really good outside office. Like, yes, That's important.
0: That, and and that's important too. Let me just say this, because as chief economist, I get to make the GDP forecast. And I think the beginning of last year when there was pervasive concern of recession, the outlook today is very different. The economy remains strong. And I think looking forward, while we expect growth in 2024 to be slower than 2023, when growth was over 3%, the outlook for growth of one and a half two percent 2%, It's not pessimistic. It's a little slower. It's more sustainable. I would say.
1: And 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 to be clear, for these sort of banks that are more geared towards office loans, like are they going to kind of step back and and be more focused on sort of triaging their balance sheets than they are making new loans? Yes, there is an opportunity here for these lenders to step in, right, and fill the gap. Opportunity. Opportunity. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Go word.
0: Here is the other big question because. I think we recognize that Office makes is makes for troubling headlines, bad headlines sell. <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of the most of the news that we hear about. Let's talk about Office. Yep. Because we know the bad news sells and a lot of the bad news has been in Office. We've seen a couple of marquee defaults. There's concern that now it's all starting to crumble. This is just the the beginning of the cracks forming. Take me through, and I, you've talked to me about this before, that office is only 16% of the entire CRE market, that even within office, there's a huge dispersion between Central Business District. Old office buildings in Central Business District are going to be troubled, whereas suburban office space in the Sunbelt states, they're, it's doing fine. Yeah. Take me through office and why, how bad it's going to get And how concerned should I be?
1: Yeah. So I think with the office sector, it's just, it's sort of degrees of how, like everybody agrees that it's challenged. It's just a question of how challenged do you think it is? And what's your sort of forward outlook on office utilization and what are companies going to do with the real estate footprint, et cetera. I I think one thing you're going to see, and we are starting to see, is that foreign investors have historically been real, have, have had really big footprints in the, especially in like the Manhattan office Market. San
0: Francisco. Yeah, yeah, like you're
1: like you're seeing some of these big like foreign banks that have that have seen losses on some of their office portfolios. So of course that's going to hit Bloomberg and it, it's it's going to sort of exacerbate sure. these headlines and I think to your point when you think about the office sector it's about 15% of the commercial real estate market, about 60% of that's suburban, about 40% central business district. And again, like not all CBD office is bad. It's mostly like these bigger primary metros and it's mostly buildings that, were, that haven't been renovated since the 80s or the 90s. So we're talking about what's still probably a, a trillion or $2 of the market that's potentially challenged, but we're not talking about the entire sector. I think that's important to sort of start off on. The other thing is, there's still a huge question as to where is work from home and the hybrid world and all that going to land, right? We track a ton of data from uh, a great source called Work From Home Research, and they analyze the micro data from I don't know where and basically get a gauge on, on how many days right, on average. We probably all have
0: trackers implanted on us right now. Yeah, and they it's fine. Can you know what? Tell yeah. the we're here in our home office <laughs> in Philadelphia. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they already know all my info anyway, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> but I think there's, we've yet to settle on a new normal in terms of, of remote work, right?
0: That's important to understand. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. And I think it, it gives credence to this. this We track data from a lot of these different metro areas where They look at utilization of public transportation, subways, trains, buses, etc. during weekdays, right? So most of the people who are utilizing these during weekdays are going to work or coming from work. If you look at this, again, we have not seen a plateau. If you look at the Long Island Railroad in New York, it's up to 80 or 85% of what it was pre-COVID, right? If you look in Chicago, not quite as good, more like 60%, but it continues to go up. Even in San Francisco, believe it or not, the BART train, like... It's, it's slowly but surely rising. So I think there are some reasons to believe that we have not hit a new normal on this yet. We're only less than three years into the recovery from COVID probably. So I think there's still some shake out there. But look, office is challenged again, especially these weaker assets. And I think the challenging thing is a lot of investors are just gonna step away from the space, cold turkey, just like even good assets. I'm just, I'm wiping my hands of it. I don't want, it, I don't want anything to do with it, right? So that's a challenge. The good thing is that these leases in office buildings tend to be 10 plus years. So there's some time for us to kind of go through these issues. Thankfully, lenders are are much more willing to work with borrowers who, are, who still want to support the asset. So there's a lot more to come here. It's going to take a long time, I think, for it to play itself out. But I think there's a lot more nuance, even to the office sector, than a lot of the headlines that we're seeing come across. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. All right. So hopefully... So far, we've managed to talk people out of sort of either panic attacks or like this this pervasive concern that the sector, commercial real estate is going to experience a repeat and is on the same track of a repeat. Hopefully we stop the doom thinking yeah. of commercial real estate. And for those of us who are still like now willing to take the next step, for those listeners who are still with us, I think- I want to turn now to the investing side of all of this because that's where, and again, your chart book, I think really gives now the, the meat of accessing commercial real estate, investing in it, and how to, how to harvest the gains that come from the fact that banks are stepping back, that private lenders are able to, to charge a higher rate in a high-yield environment already. And the fact that if there are good investments out there, and here's something that we talk about a lot, times of dislocation are the best opportunities to come in and to invest. The problem is, and this is, takes us right back to where we started, in times of dislocation, people are scared yep. and are scared to, to, to dive in. So- Given that this is a time of dislocation, right? How do we invest in this space? It's,
1: it's such a good framing of, of, of the issue, I think. The returns wouldn't be there if it wasn't a little scary for some people, yes, right? Yes.
0: You can harvest higher yeah. return when it's a little scarier.
1: If you look back, the end, of, this, the end of, the, of, of the credit cycle where everybody's feeling great about everything is not necessarily usually the best vintage. It's when the market is really dislocated that you tend to get the best investment periods. But so I think that's a great point. And I want to kind of dig into that a bit. Usually during times of dislocation, especially in real estate, it's it's kind of one of two things, right? Either there's no capital available or fundamentals are bad, right? Those are normally kind of the two reasons that you get these dislocations. And I, I think the opportunity in those types of situations is pretty clear, right? If there's no capital out there, and you're one of the few people that has capital, you can go out there, name your price, buy distressed assets, and ride it back up to pretty incredible returns. right? Mm -hmm. If fundamentals are bad, everybody accepts fundamentals are bad. We're in a recession. You can go buy a property, improve the property's cash flow, wait for the economy to recover. Again, get incredible returns. That's not this cycle. This cycle is not about a lack of capital availability. And it's not about terrible fundamentals. What it's about it's is... It's very unique. It, yeah. it, it's unique. And, it's, and we don't really have a good historical context for it. It's about the cost of capital, right? And, 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 and it's an issue of cost of financing, yeah. not availability. The most
0: aggressive rate, Fed rate hike cycle yeah. since the 1980s has yeah. really been the, the root
1: cause of this. Yeah. And I think when you think about it, right? Like you think about in, investing into a dislocation, right? What does that mean? Like, again, if there's no capital available and you have capital, you're putting yourself in the path of that dislocation, Right. What does putting yourself in the path of the dislocation mean today? Mm-hmm. It means taking advantage of that rising cost of debt, taking advantage of that, uh, of that cost of financing. Love it. Dislocation, right? And what does that mean? It means lending into the market, right? You can lend into today's market at very low leverage levels, fully collateralized by a performing property asset. By a building. By a building. By a bricks
0: yep. and mortar, by a building. Yep. Yeah.
1: yep, absolutely. That has probably significant land value. And you can do it again with base rates that are really high and spreads that are wider than we've seen outside of recessions in a pretty long time. So it's a it's a pretty unique situation. And I think in in two years we may look back and say like, "Shoot, I, I, I wish I'd done more of that." Well, that
0: that that's always what we all look back on it in times is. of dislocation. I really is. really wish I'd bought a beach house in two thousand eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. For all the listeners, all right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This. This publication, I know, will be as successful as the last one. Hopefully, this podcast will get a few people who wouldn't normally dig into the capital markets backdrop of the CRE market. We'll get them to come to our website, fsinvestments.com, the insights page, to get them to, to download this because I think it's a must read. If you're terrified of the CRE market, read this. If you're comfortable with it, but just interested in getting an update on the capital markets backdrop, also read this. So here's my last question to wrap it up. What is your core prediction for 2024?
1: Yeah. So we've been in a correction since call it the middle of 2022. I think we're still in a correction in the market. I fully expect to be writing the third version of this chart book and call it late summer, uh, early fall. We'll see. And it will probably still be called Anatomy of a Correction. But I think the difference is we're entering a new phase of the correction, right? Like I said, 2023 was about what we call triage and digestion. Trying to get a grasp on what, what are the possible outcomes in the macro world, in the rates world. Where are my exposures? Where is my risk in my current portfolio? Not necessarily looking to go out and buy new properties. I think 2024 will be different. I think it's a bit more of acceptance that we are in this higher interest rate world mm-hmm. and acceptance of what that means going forward. And I think we see a slow improvement in activity as 2024 progresses. You have, as we mentioned, refinancings. That is activity that will sort of need new, uh, fresh equity capital. It'll need yep. debt capital. It's price
0: discovery, right? Price discovery. Yeah. You
1: have $350 billion of equity dry powder sitting on the sidelines. It's burning a hole in people's pockets, right? It needs yep. to be deployed into the market. To your point, like that means acquisition activity. That means lending activity. And ultimately, that means price discovery. And it's sort of a flywheel, right? Once you start getting price discovery people start feeling more comfortable about where value is in the market. And it sort of helps to what we hope by the end of the year and going into next year, activity starts to sort of look a bit more normal.
0: All right. Thank you very much. I think this has been a phenomenal discussion. I always appreciate hearing your thoughts on this sector. Your expertise is... Something that brings nuance, and and I hope that I, th- I thank you for tolerating the myth busting <laughs> <laughs> idea behind this because I, th- I think your your nuance is is really helpful. But pulling people out of that scared place and getting them at least interested in learning more about this opportunity is, I think, was really my goal today. So I think we did it.
1: I, I enjoyed it, and and I, I do love that that show. So yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lara.
0: Thank you. This episode was recorded at the FS Investments Headquarters in Philadelphia's historic Navy Yard. It was produced by the Investment Research Team. It was edited and engineered by Aaron Sherman. Special thanks to show coordinator Ellie Zhang. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.